It's September 18th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, U.S. auto workers are on strike, and it all has to do with dirty green energy. I've got the details on that connection coming up. Second, North Korea's leader is back home after his trip to Russia. Moscow gave him some cool stuff while he was there, but what did the Russians get in return? We'll talk about that and why you should care. Third, some new drones are showing up in an African country, the country of Sudan, and they shouldn't be there. We'll talk about why you should care about that. Later, we close out the podcast with an update on the Biden family corruption investigation that is being led by the House of Representatives. I've got a new poll that shows whether or not people like you support that inquiry. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. U.S. auto workers declared a strike late last week, launching a labor action against all three major U.S. car companies at the same time. And the reason for the strike has to do with dirty green energy. So here's what we know. On Friday, the United Auto Workers Union began walkouts at three plants in Michigan, Ohio, and Missouri. Those plants build the Ford Bronco, the Stellantis Jeep, and a GM pickup truck, respectively. Now, this strike was actually not supposed to happen, at least not to, uh, according to the White House. Joe Biden said on September 4th that, quote, I'm not worried about a strike. I don't think it's going to happen, end quote. Well, it has happened, and the ripple effects are just starting. For instance, GM expects to idle parts uh, of a plant in Kansas this week with other supply chain impacts to be felt in the weeks to come. Now, how bad it's going to get and how long it'll last? Well, nobody is exactly sure this morning. The union is saying, well, initial talks seem to be productive, but Ford CEO says that the union's demands are absolutely unacceptable. They would force his company into bankruptcy. So let's look at what both sides want in this deal. Let's start with the unions. They want a 40% wage hike, starting with a 20% immediate increase. The, the other 20% would trickle in over the next four years. The auto companies, on the other hand, they say, well, we'll give you 20% uh, wage hike, starting with a 10% increase immediately. In other words, half of what the unions want. Next, there is the issue of pensions and benefits. The unions say that they want guaranteed pensions, like back in the old days, plus a 32-hour work week, not a 40-hour week. They also want guaranteed costs of living increases, some job guarantees, and to end the use of temporary workers. The car companies say that those demands are absolutely audacious and unreasonable. But putting aside these squabbles of immediate pay and benefits, there's something else going on, something far bigger something that could end the economic lives of these workers and the cities in which they live. To explain what that might be, let's start with something that you might not know. A typical gas vehicle takes about 6.2 man hours of labor to construct. That is at least according to the research director for the United Auto Workers. Compare that to 9.2 man hours for a hybrid. In other words, hybrids are the most labor intensive cars to build. But what about those fully electronic rigs? Well, as it turns out, those only require 3.7 man hours to build, or about half of the time required for a gas-powered car. So that means that by going green, 
workers go to the unemployment line, right? These EVs simply require less labor to construct. Now, if that is surprising, then perhaps you missed my updated week-long series on dirty green energy. Back on August 18th, we covered electronic vehicles, those fancy EVs, and we talked about this uh, interesting fact. EVs have fewer parts, and that means fewer humans are necessary to make them and construct these vehicles. Well, as you would imagine, car companies absolutely love that, but unions, not so much. And that is why these unions are making this very big, very audacious push to lock in big pay and big benefits and job guarantees, plus some old school pensions. In other words, they're trying to ensure that they have financial security as this dirty green EV revolution takes off. And to be clear, it is taking off largely, if not exclusively, because of Mr. Biden's bill that was passed about a year ago with all those dirty green incentives. And that probably helps explain why these unions have to date so far refused to endorse Mr. Biden's renewable agenda, at least for the cars, all because of, of this labor issue. Nevertheless, it is then ironic that Mr. Biden has now decided to weigh in on this strike, and he's doing so by blasting the automakers. Yes, all for being greedy, he says. Never mind that they are executing his vision for an all-EV fleet in America. On Friday, he said that, quote, car company and their profits have not been fairly shared, in my view, with those workers, end quote. Also, for what it's worth, Donald Trump is weighing in on this as well. He encouraged the union workers to, quote, make the complete and total repeal of Joe Biden's insane electric vehicle mandate their top non-negotiable demand in any strike, end quote. So that, folks, is where we are. The question is, where will this go? At present, there is no clear answer, but we should talk about the curious way that the union is carrying out this strike because it suggests, well, they are in this for the long haul. So here's what we know. They're launching a relatively small strike at three modestly important plants, but they're doing so at all three major companies. And that's a bit unusual, really, because historically these strikes have hit one company, maybe two, and shut down all plants at once. But here's why they're trying something different. Going small to start, that gives the union a chance to ratchet up pressure over time by focusing on the smaller plants first and then increasing to more important and more profitable plants if car companies refuse to budge. In other words, it, it stretches out the pain of the strike. And that is why folks at the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere are calling this new approach a surprise attack strategy. Right? Unions can shut down more factories without any real advanced notice. So those are the established facts and data on this UAW strike and the, the dirty green dynamics that are ultimately driving it. No pun intended. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion, folks. First, if this strike drags on, you will see it hit your pocketbook and in your local communities, right? And that is because the supply chain for America's cars, my goodness, that spreads throughout the country, not just in Michigan and Ohio. Second, let's actually step back for a second and put this moment and this strike into a little bit of perspective. So for the past five years, Joe Biden and others on the left have demanded that we purchase electric vehicles or EVs to save the planet, all because of climate change. 
But that obviously means that our auto companies have to switch from gas and diesel-powered cars to these EVs. And that means that they have to compete with other EV manufacturers. And guess where most of those manufacturers are located? Yeah, you guessed it, China. The communists are by far the world's leading manufacturer of EVs. As listeners know from my Dirty Green series, that is because they largely control the mining, the refining, and the battery production for all of those vehicles. Plus, they have very cheap labor, especially slave labor, as we've discussed. So that means that, well, as as Mr. Biden and U.S. car companies are, are making us do this EV switch, America is at a major disadvantage. And we're trying to make up for it by doing things like becoming corporate friends with Chinese battery companies. I've briefed you on that, for instance, how Ford is getting into corporate bed with a Chinese company called CATL. But there's still that labor issue, right? China has cheap or slave labor, and we don't. That means the U.S. auto companies, they're trying to find ways to compete with those cheap humans. So far, that has led U.S. auto companies to try two things. First, They are moving operations away from union-heavy states like Michigan to places abroad, like Mexico. Or second, they are moving operations to states in the southern U.S., where there are few unions or laws that actually prevent or discourage the creation of unions. So the point, folks, is this. America's car companies have to compete against the cheating and slave-owning Chinese. And the United Auto Workers, they know that. And they know that their jobs are likely to be lost in this dirty green revolution. And that's why this is a big moment for them. They're throwing down the hammer with a multi-state, multi-company effort to grab what they can before they get tossed out onto the street because of this climate change revolution. By the way, it's not just that unions are wholly opposed to EVs. They're not. It's just that they want to protect themselves because they see the writing on the wall. They see the end of their careers for so many of them because EVs just simply don't take as many humans to manufacture. So that is why I'm not going to be surprised if this strike goes on for a while. I I hope not, of course. And who knows, maybe there is some backroom deals going on right now with the Biden White House. Actually, I would bet there are. And that is because he is up for re-election next year and polls show that voters are already disapproving of him and his handling of the economy. So he is absolutely incentivized to fix this and fast. Otherwise, if he doesn't, it won't just be auto workers on the street looking for a job. It'll be Biden officials, too. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks and enjoy the following messages. Remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Folks, I've mentioned to you that to put this podcast together, I work upwards of 12 hours a day. Now, that doesn't leave me much time to cook. And that is why I have been so grateful for America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit called Factor. These meals come fresh, delivered right to your doorstep, and take two little minutes to eat. Now, if you are skeptical like I am, I was at first thinking, eh, this stuff is going to taste like airline food. But no, sir, no, ma'am. These factor meal kits 
are good. And Factor has a wide variety of meals to choose from, folks, covering lunch and dinner and some very good breakfast options, too. Portion sizes, by the way, are appropriate and modest, making them perfect as a nice meal or a hearty snack for hungry guys like me. Bottom line, folks, you know that I take great care when endorsing products, and I sure do with this one. Factor is my go-to option for when I am just too darn busy to cook. That is why you must head to factormeals.com slash right five zero. Use that promo code right five zero and you're going to get 50% off. Again, that is factormeals.com slash W-R-I-G-H-T five zero. And you're going to go and get 50% off, folks. What a deal. Go there and get this stuff today. Folks, you know that here on The Right Report, we talk about the mix of economic signals in America that suggest that things aren't great. Inflation remains high, interest rates too, and debt levels for both the government and consumers alike, whew, at record highs. So if you add all that up, that is financial risk, ladies and gentlemen, for people like you and me. So if you have been considering ways to diversify your investments and lower those risks, you ought to consider gold and silver and consider American Hartford Gold. They can show you how to protect your savings and retirement accounts. All it takes to get started, folks, is a short phone call. They will show you how to protect your portfolio with physical gold and silver. American Hartford Gold has a five-star rating from thousands of reviews and an A-plus ranking from the Better Business Bureau. And if you give them a call today, folks, they will give you up to $5,000 of free silver purchase dependent. So call them at this number, 866-353-2694. Or easier yet, you can text right. that's my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T, to this number, 65532. Again, text right to 65532 or call toll free at 866-353-2694. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un is back home after his trip to Russia. He met with President Vladimir Putin, amongst other Russian officials, over the past week, kicking the tires on some Russian military equipment. He also explored parts of the Russian space program, and he even hopped into the back of Putin's limo. And that thing is, boy, oh boy, something else. It cost the Russians 130 million bucks to build that car. It can withstand an attack by major bombs, uh, chemicals, and even it can be uh, submerged into very deep water and everybody inside survives. I want one of those. Anyway, the two leaders had a series of exchanges about how they might work together. Putin, for his part, said that he would like to help the North Koreans with their space program, which is really a cover for their nuclear missile program. As listeners will recall, North Korea's missiles can currently hit all of the United States. And that is bad, because Kim Jong-un has enough nuclear material for about 100 bombs. And then there's this. He is a raging alcoholic and has been since the age of 14. He is a heavy smoker, morbidly obese. He is a pill popper, and he is prone to emotional outbursts. So that's neat. We've got a crazy North Korean guy who has nuclear weapons, with the Russians eager to help make that problem a lot worse. Okay, speaking of, Vladimir Putin also showered Mr. Kim Jong-un with an assortment of parting gifts 
to include some body armor, some very special clothes that make Kim Jong-un invisible to thermal cameras, and he gave him five kamikaze drones. The question, though, is what did the North Koreans and Mr. Kim Jong-un give back to Vladimir Putin in return? Well, they didn't announce anything, but almost certainly it involves some weaponry, specifically a type of old Soviet-era artillery that North Korea still makes, including one caliber that's called the 152. And Putin would very much like that stuff. And that is because, as I've briefed you all previously, Putin is firing 10 million rounds of artillery a year in Ukraine. Of course, that war ongoing now for over a year, and his supplies are running low. So... Putin is scouring the world for these older supplies of artillery and obviously pushed in then to meet up with Kim Jong-un to see if they might make a deal. Now, I should note that there is some debate about what North Korea can ultimately provide to the Russians. In the short term, it's probably in the low millions of rounds. But more importantly, North Korea can fire up its production lines and keep a steady flow of artillery shells going for as long as Putin desires. Although, I should tell you, That is not exactly impressing some people, specifically a U.S. general, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley. He asked rhetorically over the weekend, quote, would North Korea's supply have a huge difference in the war effort in Ukraine? I'm skeptical of that. I doubt that it would be decisive, end quote. Well, I'm not so sure why Milley believes that, but it is perhaps because of this. North Korea's artillery is not exactly well made. Case in point, back in 2010, North Korea fired a bunch of this artillery at a South Korean island, and about 50% of this stuff failed to land on that island. It drifted off course and out into the sea. Sorry about that, fishies. Anyway, of the remaining half that did land on the island, 20% failed to explode upon impact, and that suggests that the quality of this artillery is not especially good. But to be clear... The Russians don't exactly need the high-quality stuff here. They need volume. As we have seen in this war in Ukraine so far, Moscow is going to fire this stuff wherever they need to. And if it you know, goes off course and hits a civilian target, well, that's okay. In fact, all the better. That creates panic and chaos. The point then is this, folks. North Korea produces stuff that is not great, but it's good enough. Plus... If you have some, say, Russian technical expertise and experts go to Pyongyang and help bolster those production lines, well, that artillery will get better over time. And that is actually what the Biden White House is concerned about. They warned Pyongyang last week that, quote, providing weapons to Russia is not going to reflect well on North Korea, and they will pay a price for this in the international community, end quote. And that, of course, is a silly thing to say. Because as listeners know, North Korea is the most sanctioned country on the face of the planet and has been for years. So the international community's feelings about this, it's not exactly relevant. So those are the facts and the data this morning on North Korea, their very odd leader, and how this artillery is likely to drag out the war in Ukraine. Let me offer this next quick analysis and opinion Folks, we are not going to stop Kim Jong-un from providing artillery to Russia unless we blow up some factories inside of North Korea. Now, we can do it. We know where the buildings are. We can also kill their engineers and workers and scientists, the whole bunch of people. We just have to decide that it is worth the risk. And to be clear, 
The risk is that we anger a very crazy drunken man and he pushes a nuclear button and then towns across America go boom. So if you were in the White House sitting behind the desk in the Oval Office this morning, that is what you would have to be thinking about. If you really want to stop those artillery shells from ever helping the Russians, all because you deficit spent $60 billion for that war in Ukraine, you you don't want to blow that money. Well, yes, you can take out those artillery factories in North Korea. You would have to use probably covert action with guys like me, and then we would, you know, make some people die and buildings disappear. But prepare to play chicken with the madman. And that is the calculus that Mr. Biden and his team are left with this morning. And that is why I will be watching for clues about what they do over the coming weeks and months. With that, we move on to our second international report of the morning. Grab your maps, folks, because we are off to Africa, off to the country of Sudan. And we are heading there because of a pretty ominous development that ties together Sudan, Ukraine, and kamikaze drones. But first, let's step back and refresh our memories about this country and what's going on there exactly. I first briefed you about it back on April 28th and then again on May 1st, giving you some history of the region and why we should care about that country that has collapsed into civil war. And we actually discussed a crop. It's called gum Arabic. Now, it's something that you probably have never heard of before, or certainly prior to those briefs, but my goodness, as we covered, it is in all sorts of soft drinks and candy, food, and cosmetics. And you would notice if we ran out of this stuff because a lot of products would no longer be on the shelves. And that is part of why I briefed you about this. Sudan has almost exclusive control over the world's gum Arabic. And the world has only about six to eight months of this stuff that's stored up before we run out. Which again, will happen if the civil war there continues and supplies are further interrupted. Well, as I keep an eye on that issue, we have another concern to think about regarding our friends in Sudan, and it has to do with kamikaze drones. Over the weekend, the Sudanese armed forces shared a video on social media of their use of a new kamikaze drone. It's a militarized racing quadcopter. Now, previously, those had only been seen in Ukraine, but now, quite obviously, that technology and those tactics are spreading around the world with even the Sudanese investing in this very cheap but very deadly technology. I should note that this racing drone joins a number of other drones that the Sudanese operate. They have a heavier, more lethal drone that's similar to the Iranian version that we have seen the Russians use in Ukraine. But this latest racing drone, it's different. It's lighter, off the shelf, and it's pretty hard to defeat. Now, to be clear, they can be defeated and brought down. I've got a good piece on that in the transcripts, but it can be challenging. And that is important to remember as this technology starts spreading around the world. So those are the latest facts and data coming to us from Sudan this morning. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion. And I want us to think about two previous briefs. Back on August 24th, I shared with you how the Mexican cartels are now buying cheap Chinese-made drones and arming them with explosives to target each other, the Mexican government, and U.S. officials on the border. Next, I briefed you back on September 7th about how the U.S. government is dramatically ramping up its fleet of cheap drones, part of a program called the Replicator Program, and it's all focused on taking on the Chinese, all to overcome Beijing's massive advantage of having more people and missiles and ships. 
the point is this. If you take those two previous briefs and you add this one in about Sudan, we can see, ladies and gentlemen, that warfare is changing before our very eyes. And that is in part because of the war in Ukraine. Let's remind ourselves of why that's true. To test out drones in most places around the world, you have to go through a lot of bureaucratic red tape because you are flying stuff through the air, sometimes with bombs, and sometimes over or near civilian locations. And that means that you obviously have to be very careful with the requisite delays and red tape. But not in Ukraine. That has become a testbed for all sorts of drones and their technology because there's no red tape because it's a war zone. In other words, if you use your test drone and you misfire or you crash and you kill somebody or you blow up a building, eh, it's a war zone. People die there. No biggie. Right. That is the prevailing wisdom. And that's what's happening. And now we are seeing as these companies flock to Ukraine, test out their wares and start selling it around the world. We are starting to see how this as this stuff trickles out to far flung places like Sudan. And I guarantee you, folks, that we are going to see this happen again and again and again in places all around the world where we don't want to see this stuff, right? In places like Mexico, used by the cartels. And that is why I'm going to be keeping my eye on this and why I will brief you on the details as I learn them. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is an update this morning on a report that I gave you last Wednesday about Joe Biden and the impeachment inquiry. To refresh our memories, last Wednesday, I laid out the many examples of Mr. Biden lying about his claim that he's never spoken to his son, Hunter, about his foreign business deals. I also gave you examples of Mr. Biden's lies that he never spoke to any of Hunter's business partners either. And just to confirm... If you missed that brief last Wednesday, we have both direct and circumstantial evidence going back all the way to the year 2011 that shows Mr. Biden's claims of ignorance are just not true. Now, as I share with you, Democrats and most of America's media are saying that actually there is no evidence of Joe Biden doing a single thing wrong. Although I should now tell you a quick update on that, that they are saying this in part because the White House issued a series of directives last week to media outlets telling them exactly how to cover this story to say that there is no evidence. Well, so far, that is, that is what media outlets are doing. But here's the thing. You all, you're not buying the spin. Reuters News Service published a poll late Friday that shows that 41% of you all support the idea of Congress launching this investigation into Biden family corruption. Another 35% of you all are uh, opposed, while 24% aren't really sure. As you would expect, most Republicans are in support of this investigation. Most Democrats are opposed, but independents, well, most support the inquiry. Now, here's what's interesting, I think, about this poll. The headline that Reuters used to talk about it was this, quote, Americans are divided on House Republicans Biden impeachment probe, end quote. Well, that is technically true, but a more accurate representation of this latest poll data is that most Americans actually support the impeachment inquiry by a ranking of 41% to 35%. But, hmm, why would Reuters sort of gently fudge or soften their own poll results. 
Well, that goes back to the report that I gave you on fake news back on July 3rd. As listeners will recall, most people in this country only read the headlines, not the actual stories. So that is why, with a left-leaning outlet like Reuters, they're going to cook the books a little bit with their own headlines to shape what you think and believe. At any rate, I offer this for three reasons. First, my goodness, keep your heads on a swivel, folks, when it comes to the media. They are relentless in pushing bias and propaganda. And as we covered a number of months ago in that July 3rd brief, that has been true for over 200 years. Second, it's important for you to know that most Americans, at least for now, believe that this impeachment inquiry does have merit. It needs to move forward. Third and finally, don't let media companies or politicians gaslight you into believing that there's no merit to this inquiry or there's no evidence, because there is. And you all know it. And you all know that something just isn't right. More to come. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. Folks, if you'd like me to answer one of your questions on the podcast this week, it is easy to do. Either donate via my Stripe account, which you will find a link for in the show notes. Just make sure you leave your email and I'll be in touch. Otherwise, go to writereport.substack.com, sign up, and then at the bottom of each day's Substack post, you can leave a comment or ask me a question. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.